This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. Let's look from another angle at an improvised statement from last weekend. President Biden was finishing an emotional speech in Poland when he spoke these words about Russian President Vladimir Putin. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. The White House staff quickly clarified this. U.S. policy is not to drive Russia's president out of power. Biden himself emphasized this week that he was expressing his feelings. Not a name of the war. But there are people for whom unseating Vladimir Putin is an explicit goal. People in Russia's opposition linked to Alexei Navalny, the anti-corruption fighter, presidential candidate, poisoning victim, and prisoner. In a moment, we'll hear how the war looks to one of Navalny's allies, who might endorse the view that this man cannot remain in power. But we start with peace negotiations. Russian and Ukrainian negotiators met today in Turkey and emerged saying some new things. Russia even talked of backing away from Kiev, the capital city that Russian forces once tried to capture. So what really happened? NPR's Nathan Rott is in Ukraine and spoke with our colleague Kelsey Snow. Can you fill us in on what you heard from each side today? Yeah, so the Ukrainian negotiators said that they agreed to discuss contested parts of the country, namely Crimea and the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. More importantly, they seemed willing to consider neutrality in terms of military alliances like NATO. So as long as Ukraine receives security assurances from countries like U.S. and Turkey. We don't know how that would work exactly. It's not entirely clear. Hmm. The Russians, for their part, said that they would take steps to show their goodwill. Here's Russia's Deputy Defense Minister Alexander Fomin. We made a decision to radically reduce military activity, he said, in Kiev and Chernihiv directions. That seems very significant, right? There's been so much fighting around both of those cities. Yeah, it could be really significant. And, you know, we should say that's a big could, right? Let's not forget that Russia's advancement has stalled, especially around Kyiv. A U.S. defense official says they are seeing movement to Russian troops and vehicles around the capital and near Shanirhiv. But it's not necessarily a reduction in pressure on those areas. Biden, other Western leaders have expressed skepticism, but there are and, you know, they're wondering if they will actually follow through with this. We're also hearing that from Ukrainians. I talked to a spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force here in Venezia a little earlier tonight. His name is Yuri Ignat, and he did describe today as a breakthrough, uh, but he also said this. We don't have any illusions and we'll be preparing for the insidious stab in the back from Russia, he said. They used to do it, they are doing it now, and will be doing it in the future. He referenced the shelling and airstrikes that occurred around the country today, even while negotiations were ongoing. He said the same thing happened here, even here in Venezia during earlier talks, so they need to remain prepared to fight. So it doesn't sound like there's a you know a lot of confidence that people don't necessarily believe that this is going to be over soon. No, I mean, we drove about six hours today, right, on a major highway, and we saw a lot of traffic heading east, the general direction of the fighting, just as much as we saw heading west. You know, 
there are signs that things are easing up. Checkpoints have eased up. Uh, we visited a train station in Lviv yesterday, which has kind of been a jumping off point for a lot of people fleeing from their homes. Uh, there was far fewer people there than we had seen even a week ago. Um, but when you talk to people here, you do hear a little ray of hope from today's talks, but everybody seems you know, pretty clear-eyed that there might be a lot of fighting still to come on the horizon. That's NPR's Nathan Rod in Venezia, Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you. Now, of the people who have challenged Vladimir Putin's rule of Russia over the past 22 years, the most prominent person who is still alive is Alexei Navalny. He's in a Russian prison, recently sentenced to nine years. His supporters on the outside include Vladimir Ashurkov, who was director of Navalny's group, the Anti-Corruption Foundation. They've tried to expose the finances of Putin and the oligarchs around him, and they are, of course, closely watching the war. Ashurkov spoke with A. Martinez. What's become of the hopes of Navalny's supporters and, and, and Russia's opposition movement in general now? Well, I think last month has changed many things. Few people expected a full-blown invasion that would be seeing people killed in their hundreds, if not thousands, every day. It was just unimaginable. At the same time, we see by the way the war has been conducted by Russia that it is really a blunder and miscalculation. I I believe it's weakening Putin's regime and brings forward its demise. People in the elite are shocked because they see their lifestyles turned upside down. They have seen their fortunes decimated. And the average Russians, they see how the prices are skyrocketing, how foreign brands are leaving Russia, and there will be a a definite spike in unemployment. So once the economic costs of this invasion sink in, the human costs, I think inevitably this will result in a political crisis. The economic sanctions that have been imposed by the U.S. and their allies Is that alone enough to put pressure on Vladimir Putin? I wish there was some silver bullet that Western countries would employ to put an end to Putin's regime and to this war. But unfortunately, barring a full-scale war and military engagement with Russia, there is no such silver bullet. So economic sanctions are a way to inflict pressure, to inflict economic pain on different strata of Russian society, different industries, on business people, so that they have sort of a motivation to change the situation. But it's not a magic wand that would make Putin stop, you know, within days or weeks. And what could the international community do? What role could they play in helping Russia to to return to democratic principles and also civil liberties? Uh, I wish I had a good answer to that. I think ultimately it's a matter for Russians to change this and to put our country on the normal path of development. It will be a difficult road. It has been made much more difficult by this senseless war that started a bit over a month ago. But I think whatever we see now in Russia... It's just not sustainable. It may seem stable, 
but it's really fragile. And the corruption is affecting all aspects of society, economy, and the military. President Biden, over the weekend in Warsaw, uh, said something in a speech. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, talking about Vladimir Putin. Could this, in fact, maybe benefited Putin, strengthening his narrative as a Russian leader trying to fend off Western interference? Leaders and politicians in the West, they cannot be as sly, lying as people in countries like Russia, in authoritarian and totalitarian regimes. So it's naturally that Biden would speak or would try to speak something that he believes in, in terms of Russia. Now, Biden, his office may have retracted this statement a little bit, but I think we need to look through the nuances of rhetoric to the true situation and true strategy that may work. That's Vladimir Ashurkov, executive director of the Anti-Corruption Foundation, an organization founded by Alexei Navalny. Vladimir, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. This episode was produced by Sean Saldana and edited by Kelly Dickens and Catherine Laidlaw. This is NPR News. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, hosts Lizanne Saunders, Schwab's chief investment strategist, and Kathy Jones, Schwab's chief fixed income strategist, along with their guests, analyze economic developments and bring context to conversations around stocks, fixed income, the economy, and more. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.